0: You're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix, Arizona, that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together.
1: Well, welcome to Kaleo, the first Sunday in Lent at Kaleo Phoenix. We practice the ways of Jesus together. And one of those things we do is we follow the church calendar. This past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. We had our first Ash Wednesday service as a community in this very courtyard. Um, many of you were here and it was a special moment of silent reflection and placing ourselves kind of in this different expression of worship that we're not normally used to. Uh, a, a lot of us have come from places or have been to places and these places are not bad. In fact, we they have some beautiful things that they do, but When you walk in to worship, there's a lot of proclamation and excitement, the raising of hands. We did it tonight. It's a good thing. But what happens is sometimes we neglect the fact that there's some real things that are happening in our midst that require us to be still for a moment. So before we begin tonight, I just want to usher us into a time of silence. Silence. Where you are, close your eyes, take a deep breath in, and be present to yourself in this moment. Notice the sounds of the city, the cars, the music bouncing off the walls from distant bars. Allow them to pass take another deep breath and know that we are here and we are loved. Jesus, thank you for this time. Thank you for this journey that we're going to embark on tonight, first Sunday of Lent. God, may we enter it well and faithfully. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. To quote a quote from this past Wednesday, Chris came up and he quoted a friend of ours who's standing up right now, Marco Perez, uh, talked about last year as COVID started around this time uh, where we shut down and things started getting real about it being like a year of Lent, a year of Lent that we did not choose. Lent being like our journey towards the cross, this suffering, the weakness that we embrace in our own lives and dependency on God, which is a beautiful season in the church, but we've had this prolonged, Linton experience over the past year most of us have felt it. Most of us have this collective trauma, if you will that we've experienced that we can't quite articulate or put into words but that does not mean that it is not real. It was the Lint we did not choose but today we stand here as a community free willingly going into a season of reflection on our human, weakness. Enough's enough though, right? We, we, it'd be a lot nicer to talk about Easter right now because we've, we've had a year. It's been rough. It's been dark. It's been exhausting. I don't even want to address the issues because you already know that they're all there. We don't have to go through the newspaper headlines or your Apple News updates. We're aware, The world is not as it should be. Things are out of place. There is even some sort of chaos that is manifested in our own country. That's no longer this foreign expression of refugees in crisis or immigrants trying to get over its front and center prevalent in our lives. No matter where you come from, who you are, you've been affected by the chaos of this world. As we journey into Lent, we freely choose to embrace this chaos. And it seems like we're gluttons for punishment or we're sad and sulky, but it's a part of the church rhythm and season that calls our attention to this aspect of God that sometimes otherwise goes unnoticed. We, Descend the mountain of transfiguration where Jesus shines in his clothes of white and shows his glory to come and says to his friends, it's time to walk down the mountain. To take that step down the mountain is to take your first step towards the cross. A violent, dangerous, treacherous journey with Jesus by our sides. So we look back at Jesus's journey towards the cross, knowing that Easter has happened. That's the beauty of the church season. We know Easter's happened. Jesus has conquered the grave. Jesus is won, just so you know. He's won and we have that reminder and we're going to celebrate that reminder on Easter Sunday as a community here. It's going to be a beautiful time, but we look back and we still participate in the things that led up to that victory. In the same way, we live in the present moment and we live in the way towards the future promise of Jesus. Like time is a sort of instrument that plays this worship music that we, when we tune our hearts to it, get swept away in the beauty of the songs. May that be so today. We've decided that for the Lenten season, we are going to focus on the Old Testament promises of God. It's gonna be fun. We typically preach from the gospels as a church plant. We haven't existed very long. This is our first time to dive into the treacherous waters of Old Testament theology with the Christology of Kaleo Phoenix, which we'll get to in a moment, but it's a daunting task because you're gonna hear our passage today. We're talking about when God flooded and destroyed the earth. Isn't that going to be fantastic? Just know this, I don't have all the answers. You're probably going to leave with tons more questions than you came in with. And I just pray that that is okay. So in the very beginning, God says, let there be light. Light was formed and God saw that light was good. And he separated light from the darkness and then life became possible. But in the beginning, God created the light, created the birds, the fish, the animals, the wild beast and humanity itself. And humanity flourished in the garden with each other and with God. However, there was the great deceiver who came to the humans in the garden and said to them, that they were missing out. There was something more and inevitably they decided to choose to worship themselves over God and diminished and damaged the image in which they were marked with. God throws them out of the garden and sin enters the world and Generation after generation, this sin metastasizes to the point of it being terminal to where it is so out of control. This chaos that God spoke life out of has seemed to return and God regrets ever creating creation. Think about that for a second. The writers say it's it's in there. God regrets it. He is sad about it. It grieves him greatly to the point to where he is going to wipe it all away, throw it in the trash. It was a failed experiment. Why did I do this? But there was one man who was considered righteous and he and his family were given a chance by God and God went up to this man named Noah and said, Noah, will you build a boat? Noah says, sure. Sure. He builds this boat and his family goes onto this boat and the animals go onto this boat and God floods the earth. For nearly a year, Noah and his family and the animals exist on this large boat upon the chaotic waters of the flood. Then one day, Moses and his family walk out of this boat onto soggy ground. And this is what God has to say. Genesis chapter 9, 8 through 17. Then God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants and with all the animals that were on the boat with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, every living creature on earth. Yes, I'm confirming my covenant with you. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again. Will a flood destroy the earth? The way this is written, there's this great pause between Noah and God. God has said this to Noah and his sons and there is just utter silence. He's just promised he's not going to do it again. And then God goes on after a moment of silence. He says, I'm giving you a sign of my covenant covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is a sign of my covenant with you and all of the earth. When I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds, and I will remember my covenant with you and with all the living creatures. Never again will the flood waters destroy all life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant with you between God and every living creature on the earth. Then God said to Noah, yes, this rainbow is a sign of the covenant I am confirming with you and all the creatures of the earth. That's challenging, is it not? So God creates, regrets it, is sad, decides to wipe it away changes his mind, gives a second chance to a righteous man, and then makes a promise to never do it again. But then with this promise decides to remind himself, God, reminding himself not to do that again. We don't have time to like parse out all of the theological undertones and perspectives and positions and fights and dogma and all the things that are exhausting. But one thing I think we do have time for today is to get to the original intent of this passage through a specific lens, which we'll talk about here in a moment. We hope that this is a space created to where we can engage in tough scriptures and things that we don't even agree on. We hope that this is a space where we don't have all the answers. We hope there's space here for you to have your doubts. We hope that this is a space to where we can discuss, yes, and even argue the things in the scripture, the Testament of God. Because the scripture is a testament and it's asking this question, who is God and what does God look like? And here we have God creating and regretting, giving a second chance and then making a promise with humanity. God places this bow in the sky as a celestial memory aid. God pledges to set in gathering clouds, his war bow unstrung. If you look at a rainbow in the the clouds, it is facing upwards, pointing away from the earth, unstrung as if God took his weapon and fought off the chaos. And when it was all over, looked at humanity and placed it away and said, I don't need this anymore. I don't need this anymore. Diane Bargant offers this commentary. The biblical flood story might depict a youthful warrior God who fights off primordial chaos with his bow. He defeats the chaos and makes a promise to himself not to allow chaos to reign. The covenant was a unilateral agreement. In other words, obligations were placed on only one covenant partner. Such agreements were not uncommon in the ancient world. However, what made this pact so unusual is the fact that God was the one bound by it. By the human members, but the human members were not. God promised to refrain from future destructive activity, but the other covenant partners were not required to adhere to specific norms." So God wipes out and he looks at man and he makes a promise to humanity and says, I will not do this again. I will in fact even place a sign so that I know not to do this and you don't have to do anything. Well, we know how that story ends because we are in 2021 and things are not as they should be and sin has reigned rampant. But instead of God destroying us, God has made a promise. We have no obligations. We don't have to do anything not to be wiped away by God. We simply need to be, to exist. This story reveals to us a glimpse of what God looks like. God is for us. God has entered into a relational pact with us that we do not have to respond to if we don't want. God refuses to destroy us. It's a complicated passage. Brian Zahn says, he's a pastor in Missouri at a church called Word of Life. If we start with the flood, the conquest, or the wars of David, we are left with the conundrum of a God who drowns the world, commissions genocide, and condones war. But If we start with Jesus, we are invited to read these holy texts in a new light and to arrive at new conclusions. Jesus always affirms the sacredness of the scripture, but always calls us to read them in a new way. In our office, we have a window with the word written Esimorp. That is not Greek. It is not Latin. It is not Hebrew or Klingon or any made up language. It is simply the word promise spelt backwards. We go through Scripture, and there's been there's many times and situations where Scripture is pulled out and proof texted and and there are argumentations made, and you go back to that one passage and that does a disservice though, because when we look at Scripture as a whole and Jesus being the Word of God, we read the scriptures through the word. Does that make sense? We read the word through the word. And so to read the word through the word, we look through Jesus. If you were uncomfortable and conflicted with a God who wiped off creation from the face of the earth, you ask yourself this question, is that what Jesus looks like? Does Jesus look like that? You can shake your head if you want to. I know you will, Breton. Jesus doesn't look like that. But we look through scripture through that lens. So Estimorph, the promise backwards. Throughout the entire Old Testament, we have God meeting his people and making promises, promises that he keeps. Promises that are made, sadness that God has, but still the promise he will not wipe us away. In fact, he is so vested in our flourishing and our relationality with the divine that he pursues us to every inch and crevice of our lives, whether it's darkness or chaos, because he's the God who's placed his bow down, not to kill, but to be with us. God refusing to be God without us, therefore, becoming Jesus or sending Jesus to be among us. His promise is fulfilled through Jesus. So let's look at this bow in the sky as it relates to Jesus. According to the National Geographic Society, a rainbow is a multicolored arc made by light striking water droplets. The most familiar type of rainbow is produced when sunlight strikes rain droplets in front of the viewer at a precise angle. That is 42 degrees, if you were wondering. Rainbows can be viewed in fog, sea spray, and waterfalls, or the classic cloud rainbow. A rainbow is an optical illusion. It does not actually exist in a specific spot in the sky. The appearance of a rainbow depends on where you're standing and where the sun or other source of light is shining. The sun or other source of light is usually behind the person seeing the rainbow. In fact, the center of the primary rainbow is the antisolar point, the imagery point exactly opposite of the sun. So rainbows are the result of a refraction and reflection of light. If you didn't learn anything from tonight, now you know where rainbows come from. And they're awesome. Have you seen the double rainbow guy? That's years. That's like college for me, double rainbow. Yeah, yo, y'all, y'all haven't seen double rainbow. That's great. I don't TikTok it, is it on that? YouTube it? Do y'all do that? Here we are. Rainbows in the sky. But there is something like, there's something inherently beautiful in the rainbow. We can all agree of when we see it. It's like, whoa, rainbow, it draws your attention. And it's crazy that that it is a reflection of something other than itself. And it's not actually there, but it's a sign of that which is there, which is the water droplets or the, the moisture in the air and light at a precise angle. So if you will, for a moment, join me on the Jordan River where John the Baptist, the baptizer, is baptizing people. And he's calling folks in line, next, next, next. And it comes to Jesus's time. And they have a dialogue. And John the Baptist concedes to whatever Jesus is saying. And he is baptized in a moment in that water. And we're all watching And out of the water, Jesus burst forth, and the water sprays everywhere. I feel like he would have had long hair just whipping, just beautiful Jesus. I know he was average, but let's pretend he's beautiful for the sake of this story. (laughs) The water sprays, and the light from the heavens shines, and those of us in the crowd are standing at a 42-degree angle to those water droplets, and that sun and we see this rainbow streaking forth above Jesus. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And with this light ushered in the possibility of life, this life tried to go back to the darkness, but God would not let it. He wiped away the chaos and gave a second chance, hung his bow back in the sky and said, listen, I promise you, I have a vested interest in you. I am obligated to you. I will actually bind myself to you. And because of that, I will show you through the source of light that life is possible. Time and time again, God says this to his people, ultimately knowing that the answer to the solution of why man chooses darkness is because the light has yet to walk the face of the earth to climb the cross. Jesus says in John chapter eight, verse 12, that I am the light I am the light. Those who follow me do not live in darkness, but they find life. I am the light. Jesus comes and he is the actual life source, the light itself shining forth into the world. Jesus is the light. And this light stands on the, cro- on the top of the mountain and it shines forth to his friends and shows the kingdom to come and then says, but first we must descend into the darkness. And here we are today, descending the darkness with Jesus, with our eyes focused on the cross and the light to come. Dallas Willard said that Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we don't have to. He died on the cross so that we might join him. That is what Lent is in this season that we willingly walk into. It is difficult and treacherous, yes, but we have a God who keeps God's promises and sends that source to us. The significance of this passage for the beginning of Lent is the self-limiting and willingness to sacrifice divine freedom that this passage describes, and it reaches its climax in the passion of Jesus Christ in which Lent prepares us. Lent, in this sense, is a journey to the other side of God, a venture not to the familiar terrain of God's omnipotence and omniscience, but instead to the weakness and the vulnerability of the cross, where we confess God in Jesus, consummated the relationship with humanity most fully by embracing all of our experience and even death. In the beginning, God said, let there be light and out of the darkness, light shone forth and with it was the possibility for us to live. We sit here today as children of God, as image bearers, water droplets, if you will as conduits and things that refract and reflect the light source of Jesus to this dark world. And with that light, we will not walk in darkness and we will have life. But in order to do so, we must descend into the treacherous valley of the darkness. Let's pray for a moment as the band comes back up. God, meet us here right now in this place as the physical light of the sun is actually descending upon us and we are going into night. God, allow just our temporal time right now to have an impact on us. God, allow the dropping in temperatures to have an impact on our souls as we know things are changing even right now. God, allow us to go back into your past promises and know that even in the present, they are fulfilled. God, and we worship you because of that. May we reflect your light. May we be mirrors of your goodness. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for leading us well. For letting us know that there is another way. God, for being that light that we can look to even in our present darkness. Jesus, we thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen. This scripture is a reminder that those who have tasted the mercy of God, such as Noah, will be a mirror of his goodness to those around us. Like God, we enter into a commitment to love each other regardless of their deed or reciprocity. Because of this, we ourselves, our souls, are flooded with the gifts of neighborliness. The economy of rich devouring the poor is now inappropriate. We are now flooded with the peaceable possibility. The old lust for war and violence is now out of sync with God. We are flooded with the fruitfulness, the technical destruction that seeks to sustain our unsustainable standard of living is now past. God's flooding of his fidelity in us is meant to be met with this mirroring of his light to this world we are not passive recipients to this even though we have no obligation but instead our hearts are stirred to be addicts of this light people who pursue this light to its fullest end so that we might have life because we know that there is darkness yes we're seeing it and we're actually sitting in it right now But with darkness, we look at these candles and we know that there's a glimmer of light and hope and it is present and it is palatable and it is even tangible within our community of saints and believers here in downtown Phoenix. Where there is light, there is hope. Yet we must take the step towards the cross because our reciprocity is one out of the goodness of God that has no choice but to burst forth through us. May we be water droplets So that we cast rainbows. So that we show people this world, this darkness that God has won. Jesus is king. There's no ruler or principality on this earth that will overcome. Jesus is currently the king. There is no president or party that has won. Jesus is the king. There's no ideology or things that we baptize in the name of Jesus because Jesus is the King. They are here, they are present, but they are overshadowed with what's to come. And we look forward to that in Easter and we give our hope to that and we cling to that and we're here because of that. Because Jesus descended the mountain and clung to the cross and was beaten and murdered by the darkness only to find itself vanquished by the light. That's the tension we live in, whether it's past, present, or future. Time is just an instrument of worship and may we worship well. May we reflect and refract that light well. May we be encouraged by that in our darkness and depression or turmoil well. You are not alone for the light is available. And it's in Christ and it's in your community because God loves us and we need each other. Oh, Jesus, we thank you. Oh, man, we thank you. We need you. God, may we be addicted to you. God, And when we don't have the faith we need, may we lean on the person sitting next to us even so that they can have that faith for us. God, when we have the doubt, we are bold enough to ask the questions. God, when we doubt you, even in Scripture, may we have the boldness to ask aloud in the context of our community. Because ultimately, God, Essie Morp, we look at your promises in reverse, for you have fulfilled them and you have invited us to look at your promises in new ways. May we be consistent with your light, Jesus. We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
0: I'm no longer a slave to fear, for I am a child of God. Of God, you unravel me with a melody, you surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. Say, I'm no longer, I'm no. No longer a slave to fear, for I am a child of God. I'm no longer, I'm no longer a slave to fear, for I am a child of God. From my mother's womb. You have chosen me, your love has called my name. And I've I've been been born born again into your family. family. Your Your blood blood flows through my veins. And from my mother's mother's womb, you have chosen me, your love. Your love has called my name. Let him hear you. I'm no longer a slave to fear. He already won, for I am a child of God. He rose on the cross for you. No longer a slave to fear. No doubt, no anxiety, for I am a child of God. For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.